This is the seventh Sunday of Easter. It's the last Sunday of Easter. The capstone of the great 50 days, of course, is next Sunday, the Feast of Pentecost, when we celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit. And now the church becomes both the beneficiaries of and the fiduciaries of the Holy Spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. This Sunday is also called the Sunday after Ascension Day, and so it affords the opportunity to preach about the Ascension and its meaning and how theologically the Church has understood uh, the importance of the Ascension through the ages in the Great Tradition with a capital T. So I'm going to say some things about the Ascension, since in the book of Acts we read today the Ascension. Jesus ascends now, and so we should figure out a way to appropriate that uh, in our understanding uh, of its importance. And then I want to preach about First Peter, which has something to do with uh, calming our fears and assisting us in the process of dealing with adversity and difficulties. And finally, the great high priestly prayer in John's Gospel, chapter 17, coming to the close of the uh, farewell discourse in John's Gospel, and Jesus praying at the Last Supper, which some biblical scholars think is his prayer of consecration, as he now uh, engages in the culmination of his redemptive work. An interesting thing, I just uh, didn't write anything down about this in my sermon, but uh, when I heard the first lesson read at this liturgy, Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons when the Lord will come again. So that guy, wherever he is, it was, he ought to just stop it. It probably <laughs> probably a good plan. <laughs> He's, it's not his business to monkey with when, when the Lord comes again or when the end of the world is going to be or whatever. And anyway, he's got about $72 million that he can enjoy. <laughs> so he can proceed to go to the Amalfi Coast or something and love life, right? We have the story in the book of Acts of the Ascension. And I thought my usual resources, you know, for these spiritual matters uh, is Father Thomas Keating. And here's what he said. He, the point of what I'm going to read to you now has to do with the fact that uh, focusing too heavily on, here's a fancy, the historicity of the ascension is not the place to locate this understanding. It is absolutely true that in the oral tradition and in the written tradition uh, of the New Testament, there is a heavy uh, tradition that would suggest some element of history to what occurred or how the eyewitnesses uh, saw this occurring. But Father Thomas Keating says the ascension should be understood as Jesus ascending not into some geographical location, but into the heart of all creation. In particular, he has penetrated the very depth of our being. Our separate sense self has melted into his divine person. And now we can act under the direct influence of his spirit. So rather than think of Jesus, think of Jesus as into your hearts. 
rising into your hearts, your emotional, spiritual, and mental states. When Jesus was exercising his earthly ministry in the thought world of the ancient Near East, certainly in the Judaism of which he was a part, the heart was the seat of the intellect. And what have we learned about the human brain over the last 25 years or so? That our, we have what appears to be a liquid nervous system. Thinking and feeling are simultaneous. They occur together. So it won't do to, to create some sort of a, a two poles of understanding feeling and thinking. It's one thing. So you and I need to think straight about what we're feeling and to trust our feelings about what we're thinking, don't we? We need to learn how to do that. It's very easy to say and hard to do. But this is what Father Keating means when his divine person has melted into our separate self-sense. He goes on to say that this involves then what we call the divinization of humanity. In the Eastern Church, you know, the Orthodox Church, they are a, a centerpiece to their under spiritual understanding is something called deification or divinization. Divinization is a bit difficult because it's like, you know, some occult or sorcery or something like that. So deification is a better word. And it means, of course, that as we grow in grace and mature in the spirit, we become less unlike God. The ascension is a mysterious interpenetration of material experience, spiritual reality, and divine presence. This opens us to the transcendent potential in ourselves, to our mind which opens us up to unlimited truth, and to our will which reaches out in unlimited love. And so the Feast of the Ascension and the understanding of the ascension in the church's tradition has to do with how uh, Christ has now, it, it permeates our hearts, the whole of the human person, that we are now participating with God's purposes. We are part of God's initiative in the cosmos. In the book of Acts, today we have the story of the ascension Luke writes about, and then he speaks about the apostles and the disciples and some women who go to the upper room. This is the last place in the New Testament we hear anything about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And she's there praying with the apostles and the disciples and some of the other women. We can kid about that, some women but it's an extraordinary thing that it appears in the New Testament at all. It's groundbreaking. And what they're doing is waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so for Christian people, when they read this section from the book of Acts, it has to do with how we understand the processes of the Spirit at work in our own lives. Practically, <clears throat> every sermon... I describe the Holy Spirit of God as God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you. But sometimes you and I cannot feel it. 
We cannot see it. We cannot believe it. We just don't know whether it's there or not. And so there must be some processes involved in how we begin to understand this great powerful force. And part of it is the development and the encouragement of our reflective processes. The waiting on the spirit means in some way to be holding in prayer uh, what it is that God has in mind for us and to be able to see more clearly what that might be. I'll have something to say about this when we get to the gospel. But there is something here about the processes of God waiting upon the spirit. And so on the seventh Sunday of Easter, we're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. I mentioned last week that First Peter... There's 1 Peter and there's 2 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter is the earliest of those two epistles. Most biblical scholars believe that 2 Peter was definitely not Petrine, as they say, because it was written very late. It's probably the latest piece of writing in the New Testament. But 1 Peter, uh, if it was written by Peter, would have been written in about 62 or 68 A.D., before Peter was martyred. He was martyred between 62 and 68 in Rome. So today, uh, Peter is speaking about something that's beginning to go on in the, in the life of the church, and that is persecution and martyrdom and adversity. If Peter wrote it, he's probably speaking about the persecution that will kill him. Nero. 62, to, you know the guy who fiddled while Rome burned? That's the first one. And so he's speaking about uh, how now we are in a position to be able to face this. I should say this to you too, just from a historical point of view. Uh, some people give you the impression that Christians were persecuted from the jump in this kind of steady stream of endless persecution and outrage and atrocity. And it just wasn't true. Christians were, there was a punctuated persecution that went on for about the first two or three hundred years of Christian history. And then when Constantine declared Christianity the legal religion of the Roman Empire, that stopped. But there, the, the persecutions that occurred had various levels of intensity and were sometimes located in different parts of the Roman Empire. So Peter may be writing today about Rome, where this was occurring, of course. But then in North Africa and then in, you know, Syria and in other places like that, that's how the persecutions went. But the point is, is that Peter is speaking about today how you and I begin to develop the means by which we have the internal self-regulation and strength to meet the challenges and the opportunities in front of us. Not many people in this country, in fact, I don't know of any, there's, Christians aren't being persecuted any longer in the United States. If you and I were living in the Sudan, we would uh, really understand what this meant in the ancient sense. I sometimes think Christianity uh, is uh, 
the victim of a kind of gratuitous persecution that occurs in this country, some of it not undeserved. And it is the result of also um, bad information. And so it's important for Christian people to be able to, uh, in some way, have some clarity about who they are and what they believe. I think the Episcopal Church is well-placed to do that because we don't believe that you must leave your brains in the back of the church before you come in. You should be able to bring the full force and effect of your intellectual powers on the deep things of Christian faith and belief. And my experience as a pastor has been that when people do that, their, strength, their faith is strengthened and not destroyed. We do believe, of course, that perfect love casts out all fear. And so we should be fearless in this process. And that's in some sense what Peter is talking about in today's epistle. And we have actually the word anxiety mentioned in this reading. The Spirit of God is available to you and me to be able to have us maintain the non-anxious presence in the midst of the anxiety and reactivity of others or the circumstances in the world that we find troubling and chaotic. In the Gospel today, the conclusion or getting towards the conclusion of the farewell discourse Jesus is praying the prayer of consecration at the Last Supper. The preparation, the consecrating of himself to God in the presence of the uh, disciples and apostles for the culmination of his redemptive work on the cross. And what this is about is, is a very important theological issue. And that is, how did the church that wrote John's gospel incorporate or appropriate the mighty words and works of Jesus Christ in their own common life together. And what is Jesus speaking of that they are now going to be able to use to strengthen them spiritually when Jesus leaves them, which he is helping them with at this point what we would say about this is that what Jesus is saying to the apostles and the disciples is the uh, enabling them to see and understand Jesus in depth. They know who he is. And it has had now an important uh, liberating effect on their intellectual, emotional, and spiritual powers. What does it mean when you hear somebody say they understand in depth? I don't think that we can use the examples uh, of the ancient Near East as easily as some might then. So we maybe have to think about other examples. Because after all, when you begin to know what it means to understand something in depth, you know that it is possible to understand God in depth. Not to know God in absolute terms, but in some way to be able to understand 
your connection to God the true meaning and depth of being unconditionally accepted, loved, and forgiven. For example, let me see if I can give you an explanation from my own life. I uh, just hated math. It just bored me to death. I didn't work hard enough. I was too lazy. I had to take Algebra 1 three times to pass out of it in, in school. I Not, you know, pass out cold, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Gee, it was just, well, it was the most tedious stuff in the world to me. I did better at geometry. I got out of that one, one try. But here's the thing. I got to be very much at home with numbers and their importance and their relationship uh, through keeping the books in my family's business. I learned how to do this. And now I understood all of this in depth. The relationships, all of that stuff, you know? And by virtue of that, I began to say, well, if I can do this, then I can you know, sort of get all this stuff. Um, you know, I mean, I even understand fund accounting, so there it is. But it's by virtue of uh, being able to do that in depth and applying yourself. Sometimes oblique things can help you see in depth uh, better than, than before. You've heard me speak about this. Uh, you're doing one thing, and all of a sudden you're doing another, and you're understanding why is this easier than uh, I thought it was going to be, and you say, oh, well, wait a minute, I've been doing this particular thing that has strengthened me to do this thing. So that's what seeing something in depth uh, means when we speak about it. And what in John's gospel is meant when people understood Jesus. In his words and in his works, we have seen words and works indistinguishable from the words and works of God. Those people in the Johannine community would have said, if God were walking around physically on the earth. This is who he would be like. We have seen him. And more to the point, he has taught us now how to follow him. And we believe what he says when he said elsewhere in John's gospel that you will do even greater works than me. Because you have been provided tools you can use. The template. One of the tools that we can use is the Spirit of God, which elsewhere in John's Gospel is referred to as the Comforter. It is God's Spirit that helps us in the reflective processes that allow us to begin to see things in depth. And on the seventh Sunday of Easter, it is when we begin to uh, put two and two together. And so when we celebrate the descent of the Holy Spirit lighting on the apostles, we see that the Spirit's unifying processes will now come to their full uh, level. John McQuarrie, the... He's dead now, but he was the Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Oxford. Wrote in his book, The Principles of Christian Theology, that the Holy Spirit 
the third person of the Trinity, I would refer to as unitive being. It is the Spirit of God that unifies us as a community of faith, and it is the Spirit spirit of God in our interior lives which unifies our emotional, spiritual, and mental states. And so this unifying process of God is always at work. But we have to do a little thinking and reflecting upon it. And so this Sunday is about waiting on the Spirit. Amen.